Remember back when you were in high school and you were supposed to make these huge life decisions about where to go and what to do with your life, but you actually had no clue yet. Yeah, and it wasn't just about where to go to college or what to do for work. All those questions were actually about who you are and who you want to be. Well, what if there was a way for students in high school to get clear about all those big questions in life, about their identity, their purpose, and their core relationships? Welcome to the Musical Podcast, where we believe inside of everyone is a great story waiting to be told. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the U-School podcast. This is your host, always the host, Scott Schimmel, the president and chief guide of U-School. And I'm here. I just want to call you Dr. Jones because my favorite movie of all time is Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. So when I think of Dr. Jones, uh, I will now think of you, not just Indiana. So welcome to the U-School podcast, Dr. Jones. We, I think, had a funny start, like a bizarre, talk about 21st century relationship where we became friends, I guess, through social media. <laughs> and then Surprise. we picked up the phone. You reached out this summer and we, and we had a conversation over the phone and, and we've been building a partnership from the, the bottom half of California to the top half. So um, welcome to the podcast. Just let us know who you are and kind of why you reached out in the first place. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here and I'm excited about what, what you're doing. It's so needed. Um, I... I'm a pediatrician and I practiced for 20 years in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. And I've heard of that. Yeah. And really, <laughs> over the course of that career, realized a lot of changes going on with young people. And I've always felt passionate about young people, love working with young people because it kind of sets the tone for the rest of their life. You can really have an impact that ripples forever. Yeah. And what I saw after about the first 12 years of my practice was a shift into a lot of mental health issues hmm. that were not present in that beginning section. And, you know, I had a broad spectrum, general pediatrics, zero to 20. You know, I inherited another practice, so I had a wide age spectrum the entire way. Okay. And kids started coming in really anxious and depressed. And at the time, there should be thriving in their life right? with all kinds of potential and possibility on the horizon. And these are diverse families, hmm. international, affluent, underprivileged, sort hmm. of a pretty wide spectrum. And it, it was really troubling. And we mobilized a lot to increase mental health care and get people talking about it, working with schools, all those sorts of things. And more and more, it just kept happening more and more. And it was just untenable for me to think, wait, how how did we get here? So I really, I don't like the idea of kids drowning, you know, and it felt like we were pulling kids out of this river. Yeah. Even though we had great resources and people and committed, devoted, doing this wonderful work that's super important. Mm -hmm. There's, there's the question of, wait, how are, how are they drowning? What can we go do upstream that mm. might change this trajectory? So I love what you're doing because I think it's, it's addressing that. And you left, you left your practice. I left my practice Why? because I felt called to go upstream. Uh, 
there are a lot of wonderful people working downstream by the time kids would come into our office and we would need to be getting into the mental health care kind of crisis mode, reactive mode. Right. That's super, super important. Right. Uh, but there needs to be work at both ends. And yeah. so I'm really wanting to see things happen more upstream of pediatrics is all about prevention. So mm. that's really my mindset is how can we equip and empower kids so that they don't get into these difficult situations so that they can can handle the ripples, the waves, the the rapids yeah. they encounter in life. So I'm, I guess I'm curious because from a, uh, someone who works inside schools, when we when I think of students who are struggling with mental health issues, uh, we're talking about them seeing maybe their counselor, uh, um, maybe acting out behavior issues, academic issues, obviously it's kind of first year, but then let's get them into a counselor or maybe there's a this psychologist on site or a social worker if they've got some particularly unique situations in their family. But you as a pediatrician, we're seeing parents bring their kids in. Like what, what would they say? What, what, what does a parent say to you when they're walking into your office? So, so it would come up in two ways. One would be the parent or the kid would come in and the parent would say, you know, my kid's withdrawing or doesn't seem to be engaging as much as they used to, or, you know, I found some text that was really concerning mm. or a friend reached out to me and said something had changed or I noticed a school shift, you know, grades, kind of the usual yeah. signs. Yeah. Um, the other thing that would come up was we, we started screening kids for depression at every, every really? visit. Really? And so there were a lot that came up that maybe the kid realized something, but the parents did not even realize it. And there was a big, wow. you know, kids don't want to admit this to their parents. They don't want to admit that they're struggling. There's yeah. a lot of external pressure to do well and perform well and put on that face. Right. And so it was really those kind of those two pathways of, some were acknowledging and some mm. were not. More boys and girls, girls and boys, like what? Mm, pretty equal. Mm -hmm. Pretty equal. How? Um, I just, I just guess it's a little. When you think about a family whose kid is struggling to make an appointment, obviously they're they're looking for help. They're they're in that place where they're thinking like we don't know what to do. So you're as a as a pediatrician i just think of my family growing up like that was a very trusted person in our lives <laughs> when i think about the adults that we had a relationship with outside the family it wasn't a lot the pediatrician was one of them so i can imagine you had a very trusted role in the midst of that yeah that's one of the wonderful things about being a pediatrician is developing this relationship with families for years over time for a really long time yeah so what um when you think about going upstream, <clears throat> what does that look like for you? Like what, I mean, leaving that, I guess if we just have the headline of pediatrician leaves practice because she doesn't want to do this kind of work anymore. She wants to help prevent this kind of work. I just think that's, it's really remarkable. It's noteworthy. So what, what have you been doing since you left your practice? I've done a lot of thinking, a lot of uh -huh. talking, a lot of listening, uh, a lot of a lot of reading, and really trying to peel back these layers of where is this coming from. Um, engaged with a lot of people, a lot of parents, you know, anybody touching in, and and it's really complex. <laughs> it's got so many aspects to it that hmm. you can't just address one one piece. You know, there isn't one little hole in the dam you can plug your finger in. Yeah. So there are, there's a lot of 
common issues that people would recognize, like, you know, screens are an issue and how they're impacting kids and mm-hmm. sleep is an issue and, uh, you know, where kids are getting their sense of self. Mm. There's a lot of external pressures and extrinsic content coming at kids, both from parents, from schools, from coaches, from friends, from peers, from social media. Yeah. And a lot of kids don't have an intrinsic sense of who they are mm-hmm. and what's meaningful to them and where they belong and uh, kind of the, some of the things that, that you talk about at U-School. So you I think that's di- Is that different, do you think, than 10, 15 years ago? Have the pressures changed? Has, has this, the, the kids maybe a generation ago, did they, do you think they had more of a sense of themselves or did it not matter as much? So I think, I think there's, there's definitely an effect of a lot of this has been sort of drowned, is drowning out, right? There's so many messages coming at people. There's overscheduling. There's all those sorts of things that don't give kids the, mm. the space, mm. right? These things are, are, are not quick things. They don't happen. It's not a yep. two-day Amazon Prime order, right? right? These are things that is right. part of the process of adolescence and adolescent development is hmm. actually going through kind of an existential process of, of yep. asking those bigger questions about purpose and meaning and identity. And I think with our culture today, there are more external things that, that kind of push that under the rug, that push that aside. Parents are busier. We're not taking time to address that with our kids. Schools have a zillion things on, on their to-do list that they are trying to accomplish with kids. Yeah. Um, and kids are overscheduled and don't have this downtime to really mm-hmm. think about it or to process or to have someone walk beside them yeah. in those sorts of questions. It's, a, wow. it's, not an easy, it's not an easy place to go, right? It takes time. It takes work. Yep. And it's just, I think it's a lot harder. So it's two factors. It's that, it's that the pace is, is different now, which doesn't allow that. And then all the external things are kind of, kind of drowning it out. When you have parents asking you for advice, for wisdom, what, what comes to mind these days? Because you've been learning so much, exploring so much. Like what, what's your go-to sort of, hey, at least, at the very least, do these sorts of things? So my number one is figure out what your kid's spark is. Okay. Spark is something that lights your kid up. It's it's what brings them joy, what gives them energy. It's just something that if you know if they had free time, that's where they would gravitate. So, mm-hmm. what is your kid's spark? Mm-hmm. How and ask them. Mm-hmm. Most kids most kids know their spark, but adults don't ask them about yeah. what it is. So, find out what it is. Have a dialogue, mm-hmm. and then figure out how you can support that. How can you foster that? How can you help if there are obstacles as they pursue that spark? Are there other people or adults or opportunities or situations that that can point to that and mentor them or you know expand their horizons in that realm? That's number one for sure. Can we pause there for a second? Because I, I think I can imagine quite a few kids being asked that question on the <clears throat> on the front level scene, video games, YouTube. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I know I was leading a group discussion with a bunch of middle school boys, my son, one of them a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about not using, I love the word spark. We're talking about life. What what brings you life? And 
And then <clears throat> some of them said video games. And I, the, the second question was something effective, like what are the things that you do that you think is going to give you life? But then in hindsight, you realize wasn't. And they all kind of like, well, yeah, that's video games. So absolutely how do because you know if, if parents ask their kids what they want so what do you how do you what do you how do you think about that yeah. um so a spark is generally something that is not a passive thing mm. right i mean a video game is like it's, it's not entertainment that's that's not what a spark is a spark is yeah. more active where you're doing something or you're contributing in some way or there's Making some meaning something. beyond yourself right? There's, mm -hmm. there's something else. Now, video games, I know with middle school boys, that's how they connect socially. Like, I'm not, there yeah. can be value in that, but that is not yeah. the spark. That is not the thing where they're going to grow and learn and discover their deep identity. Yeah. Now, making videos, creating something yeah. where they're sharing information or they have a particular gift that they want to share through that medium, great. Mm -hmm. But that in and of itself isn't a spark. A spark is more of a, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's a hobby. It's a skill. It's a character mm. trait. It's a passion for something that's broken in the world. Mm. Any of those kinds of things. Beautiful. Okay, so that's number one. That's number one. Um, number two is <clears throat> this whole idea of adolescence being an existential process, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just puberty and biology and hormones. shifting from hormones, right? Yeah. Shifting from concrete to abstract thinking like part of all that is an existential or a spiritual journey mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. we have to be willing to go to those places with our young people hmm. what do you what are you thinking about that hmm. what does that make you think about the world and life and what gives you meaning and how do you you know deal with difficulties or things you think aren't fair mm -hmm. you know kind of tapping into what what their worldview might be. Those kinds of things can come up in opportunities too, right? Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people do service things or getting out in nature, um, faith communities. You know, there are, sure. there are lots of ways to engage in that. But for, for a parent to acknowledge that that is a part of the development happening, even if the parent says, I don't know how to have these conversations. I don't know how to talk about this. Right. Even that in and of itself is meaningful. Parents are struggling with this too. Right. Right. This is not something you figure out by the time you're 20 and you're done, right? That's it's right. Ongoing. So parents can use this as an opportunity to explore their own existential struggles and re reshaping too. You, it changes when you become a parent. Yeah, that's right. It changes yeah, as your kids grow up. So jump in that pool with them and have conversations. <clears throat> what, what would you say to the parent whose relationship with their kid is a little bit fraught with uh, friction and disengagement? So the, the, you know, the classic teenager move is to pull away from parents right. as a part of that existential journey to create their own identity. Yeah. So, so you can, if you can try to connect it to the spark that we <laughs> talked about before, you'll get some better traction. Hmm. Um, you know, if they, if they really like art, yeah. ask them about what they're drawing. Well, what, hmm. why did you think about that? Where, try to get into the, the why of, yeah. of that spark and, and where it's coming from or, how they feel the joy in that like you know just kind of explore that a little bit and uh, sometimes you'll have a better chance you know kind of get into their their world things that they're into yeah rather than like this is my agenda i need to talk to you about this right right you have to go where they are and show that you really are interested in that so what do you hope 
from a school's perspective, I know that you're involved with schools, your own kids' schools. Like what, what do you wish or what do you hope principals, leaders would know or do differently based on the trends that you're seeing? I admire people who work in schools. It is, it is really a tough job. Um, I love school leaders that kind of are enabling any of the staff and faculty to be able to identify and call out sparks for kids, you know, to mm -hmm. be able to, to allow that to be maybe a way they do an assignment or um, mm. to, to complement a, a skill or a strength that they see, like, you know, teachers and administrators, principals can be sort of uh, a champion for a spark in a kid. Mm. So when you see that, boy, that's, that's yeah. super valuable to just embrace that. Well, that goes back to the that. same thing you were saying uh, in regards to parents. That takes, that takes time. It takes time out of, you got to carve out some space to do reflection, right. writing prompts, sharing, those sorts of things. Uh, yeah. And back to your earlier point, there's so much more pressure now to, uh, with standards, academic standards, like the, the college admissions, that sort of thing. It's, we're squeezing this we free time and free totally space. totally squeezing. Yeah. And, you know, I, there are some wonderful teachers who will be happy to take a step back and say, this is why we're doing this. Totally. Yep. And get a kind of a bigger picture, think about these other mm -hmm. more vague elements, right? It's not necessarily this common core curriculum piece, but how yep. does that connect into a bigger picture of something that is either yep. related to the future or related to how we connect in the world together and those sorts of things. And so yep. conversations, the way conversations go in a classroom, like letting the conversation go into those spaces. It's, it's fascinating to me to see, I've seen some research studies come out that, you know, very academic, uh, robust research where they're saying, hey, it turns out when kids feel like they're connecting with teachers and, and talking about bigger things, they do better academically. And it's, it's something that good teachers know intuitively. I, I just was spending time with one of my best friends. He's a math teacher up in Northern California, high school math teacher, every level. And, and as a math teacher, it's kind of like the, the easiest target for a lot of us folks who are on the social, emotional, mental side to say, like, they don't, you know, they don't get it. But he, here he is telling me, I was asking him about how he connects with kids. And he says, oh, I'm, I'm always telling them dumb jokes, Chuck Norris jokes. <laughs> I'm always telling them stories about my family. And then as he was articulating that, he said, I said, why do you do that? I said, well, he said, I know we, we do fewer drills. Uh, I think we get further along or, or we don't get as far along in the curriculum as I'm supposed to every year. But I've seen all the scores go up the more I've done that. Believe it. And it, just to hear him kind of reflect on that, like, yeah, I've learned over time, the more we spend talking about life, the better they do on math. And so how do we, you know, how do cool. we get all teachers to think about that? Even the folks, the hard driving in your community, my community, the APs, the college prep level stuff. Right. How do we beat that drum enough until everybody believes that it's true? <laughs> there, yeah, there's a lot of fear. We got to break through a lot of fear, right? Fear of yeah. how we're supposed to accomplish things and what happens if we don't or we don't meet right. that deadline. And you know, fear drives so much of our behavior. Yeah. And so if we can call that out and say, "Hey, 
I'm concerned about that. I'm worried about that, but that's okay because this is more important. Yeah. We all think about teachers who really were meaningful to us. Right. It's the ones that we had connection with. Totally. Right? Yep. That's what we talk yep. about. Yep. So yay for teachers who do that. It, it matters yeah. for a long time. I was just thinking yesterday about a seventh grade social studies teacher and Mr. Neve. And um, I don't remember what we studied. You know, I don't remember anything, but I, I've ever since loved history. And I've also loved to root for Cal Berkeley because he went to school there <laughs> and told us about it. Like every single time I see Cal playing on TV, I'm like sitting down and I don't even remember half the time why, where that comes from. But he made such a, a huge impact. impact. I don't, I don't remember ever having a personal conversation with him either. I don't know if we wow. ever did. Wow. But to your point, those are the kinds of teachers that make such an impact on us. And in hindsight, he seems old. He was probably like 26. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but he was, I remember him being passionate and infected me with this love of history. I'm constantly reading history since then. Just, I just love it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess one of my last questions for you is obviously you deeply love kids and care about kids. Um, why? Why from your own story? What is it about you and your life and what you've been through and experienced? What is it that's continues to drive you? Kids are, I, I love how kids live in the moment, especially young kids. You know, yeah. they, they just have this zeal and this zest for life and they see life with this lens that is so refreshing mm. that I just wish we all could have, you know, hold on to glimpses of that mm. forever. And I love the potential in young people for, you know, discovering who they are, how they can contribute to the world yeah. uh, and, and, and make it better and I just love to do every, anything and everything, right? Whether it's physical health, whether it's mental health. Right. I mean, this all ties together for me because this is really all about flourishing. And yeah, that, that's, that's what it's about. And I want to help everyone who has the opportunity to impact kids flourishing to be able to do that, right? Parents are a huge part of it too. Schools, right. parents, coaches. Yep. So if we're successful, what, what, will, what could it look like? I dream about that. I dream about kids not drowning in the river. I dream yeah. about kids, you know, either they're in the upper part of the river and they're not hitting the rapids or they've got a life raft or a life jacket yeah. on. So when those rapids come, they can navigate yeah. through it and they're going to come through. Okay. Yeah. Stronger having learned a lot. Uh, and you know, ultimately these are things that they're going to pass on to other, to other people. So Yep. We've got people really, really finding what, what they love, who they are in, in its real authentic self. Right. And that's a gift to all of us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing else like a kid finding that spark and finding it early. Right. I look back at me and it's like, man, I wish, I wish there's a few people intervening like you to help me do that earlier. Not, th not that I didn't have well-intentioned adults, but it, you know, we can actually do this. We can design sports. We've redesigned sports. We can redesign school. We can redesign family. Uh, it's not, we're not talking about massive shifts. We're talking about subtle shifts to create the space to think. That's right. And, and one person can make a big difference. I mean, I had, yeah. I had coaches in my life. I had teachers in my life mm -hmm. to this day. 
you know, some of them came to my wedding, like they were really important people and we've yeah. got to keep, we've got to keep that going. It's critical. Yep. yep. Well, uh, Dr. Jones, thank you for the time and thanks for your friendship. I'm one of my favorite things in the world is uh, the sense of conspiracy with friends. So I'm glad to be up to something with you. Let's keep uh, conspiring. Yeah, exactly. We'll see where this goes. But uh, until then, I'm going to be sending you text messages for prescriptions for my kids. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Thanks, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining in on the U-School podcast. We'd love to share with you the resources available on our website at theuschool.com. Not just articles, eBooks, worksheets, and other podcast episodes, but specifically, you should know about a free course we have available called the Real Me Course. It's digital, it's interactive, and it'll guide you to get clear about who you are and the great story you could tell with your life. So go register for a free account and get started on the Real Me course today at theuschool.com. That's theuschool.com.